This is the Blood Red podcast from the Liverpool Echo, giving you the inside track on all the big talking points from Anfield. A change at the top as Peter Moore set to depart and Billy Hogan to take on the role of chief executive at Anfield come September. The Reds' rivals making headway in the transfer market. Will Jurgen Klopp's side be left behind? And after a successful stint in South Wales, what next for Rianne Brewster? I'm Guy Clark. Welcome along to Friday's Blood Red podcast, courtesy of the Liverpool Echo, as we get set to get stuck into the week's big talking points out of Anfield, and one very big one indeed coming out this morning. Along for the ride on this sweltering afternoon, O'Connor Dunn, Kiever O'Neill and Matt Addison. Team, how are we all keeping? Yeah, I'm very well, thank you. Good, thanks, Guy. Yeah, very hot, but apart from that, not too bad. Yeah, it is. Abs- How are you? Yeah, I'm, I'm all good, and it is absolutely cracking flags and very, very hot indeed. But, uh, Connor, come straight to you and on the real big news today. You've been reacting over and across on the, the Echo website, and we've already had a video on the, the YouTube channel this morning explaining the, the decision right at the top of Anfield, the CEO, Peter Moyes, to step down in just a month's time. Yeah, so essentially, Peter Moore's contract was a three-year fixed-term deal, we understand. Um, this was always the plan. Um, he's stepping down, basically his wife, and he both have children back in America, which is where they've come from. He's obviously, he was born in Garston originally, but spent most of his adult life in America. Um, he's going back there for his children and for his family and for family reasons, really. And from what I've been led to believe, this is all really on his terms. And um, this was something that was coming. It's a, a very amicable step down. Obviously, this is a big step up for Billy Hogan. Billy Hogan's worked for Liverpool since two, well, worked for FSG, sorry, since 2004, came across to Liverpool from Boston in 2012. And so he's been, he's been working here a while. Um, but yes, yeah, certainly, it's certainly a big deal. And what's, what's really interesting to note, actually, is that Peter Moore is going to be spending the next month overseeing a transition period. And normally you'd think in a football club, if a chief executive officer was stepping down in any way, shape or form, was unhappy about it. There's no way he'd be helping his new colleague come and, you know, transition into the role. So it all seems very amicable and it's a very interesting split. And I'm sure we'll come on to it. But Hogan was actually the man who brokered the deal between Liverpool and Nike, which is set to begin tomorrow. So he's somebody that obviously has a, a big vision for Liverpool's future and it's an exciting one at that. Yeah, and Kiva, on Peter Moore, we'll get to, to Billy Hogan and what he, he could bring to the role. But on Peter Moore, he, he is a man who is held in high esteem, of course, by Liverpool fans. He's the guy effectively running the operation day-to-day as the chief executive at Liverpool. And he is a man who will go with... I suppose a heavy heart for Liverpool fans because they they feel as though they've got to know him very much over the three years he's been in the role. Yeah, I think you just have to check the replies to his tweet that he sent out today. And, you know, I think there's maybe one or two negative comments. But other than that, there's just hundreds of, you know, really nice replies from Liverpool fans wishing him all the best because, you know, he has done a sterling job for the past three seasons. He come in, you know, FSG come in, have done a great job. But, you know, the times when they have got it wrong, he's held his hands up. And sometimes he's been able to steer them in a way where he understands the fan base and the city because, you know, he was born here. Anytime you hear him speak, I think he's done the TED Talk. Um, I've been privileged enough to hear him uh, speak. Um, you know, he always speaks about his dad and, like, the city and the passion. You can just feel it coming off him, you know. Um, so, you know, Liverpool have definitely lost someone who completely cares and loves the club. Um, but having said that, you know, 
like Connor just mentioned, Billy Hogan, they're getting someone crazy. He's been the managing director. You know, this feels like what is a promotion for him, but I don't know how it could be a promotion when you've already got a pretty good job at the club, but hey-ho. Um, but yeah, I think, you know, come back to Peter Moore. I think he's done a great job. He got to know the city in particular. You know, obviously, like Connor mentioned, he was in America for a long time. He's come back, brought that expertise from the gaming industry into, you know, his passion, which is football. Um, and, you know, you, you read those messages from different companies around Anfield businesses, just fans. And, you know, he got involved in the food bank. I know he's got his, his own foundation. Um, you know, he was really involved in, in the club and sort of, you know, the wider community. And I feel like it's important that, you know, the next fella coming in, which is obviously Billy Hogan, tries as as best as he can. I know that he will to, to sort of keep bridging that gap because for a long time, what was wrong with Liverpool is that gap wasn't bridged and it was the club and the fans, it was a separate thing. And Liverpool's success now is very much founded on that the club have been able to bridge that gap and people like Peter Moore should be commended for, for what he's done. Yeah, and really bridging that gap and having sort of the the fans on side, Matt, in every single possible way. You do feel as though Peter Moore's been a key driving force behind that, no, no less so than obviously the, the furlough decision that got reversed at the beginning of April. It was he who wrote the letter on the club website explaining that actually, hands up, the, the club got this one wrong. Yeah, and I think that just shows really the sort of respect that he's got from Liverpool fans. He's earned that over the last couple of years. And as Kiva says, in, in every single regard, you look at the stuff he's done with the food banks, the, look, the stuff he's done sort of with other bits around the city. And I'm sure there's a lot more to it that we don't know about as well. You know, not everything will get publicised. There'll be things that he does sort of that, that don't get noticed as well. But when you combine that, I suppose, with the fact that Liverpool have been so successful on the pitch in, in recent times, it's... You know, it's a credit really to what he's done and, and what the whole organisation has done. And it is a big sort of hole for Liverpool to fill, you know, as much as, as Billy Hogan is someone that we've all grown to respect over the eight years he's been at Anfield. I think it's, you know, it's a big opportunity for him, but it's a big challenge as well to, to sort of step up and, and do the job anywhere near as, as good as what Peter Moore has done. So, yeah, I think it's a, a sad day for, for Peter Moore to be leaving the team that he supports, but I'm sure... As FSG have proven in the past, they'll they'll make the right appointment in in Billy Hogan, and hopefully he can continue and, and build on that good work. I think. Sorry, Quick mention when you were speaking there, Matt Connor, maybe as the same idea as me, but um, Everton, you know, Sean Cox and his family, the support that Peter Moore shown them, a lot of fans appreciated that as well. I know that the Sean Cox family will, will have will have uh, appreciated that as well. It's important to mention, you know, he he didn't. The, the club were with Sean Cox the whole way. You know, they still are. And I think that was very much driven by Peter Moore. So he, he deserves credit there as well. Yeah, I was going to mention exactly that, to be fair. So, <laughs> well played. Great minds think alike. And uh, But, but Connor, on sort of even the succession planning from FSG, then it was a three-year contract. This isn't a case of he's being moved aside. It was always perhaps in the thinking and, and in the pipeline. But to be moving out of the position as he does, I suppose the uncertainty of the current situation, you, you mentioned that month that he's going to be staying on and overseeing Billy Hogan's transition into the role himself. And whether it be the end of the season, a transfer market he's got to sort of get to grips with and all that comes with that, as well as the uncertainty around right now. I suppose Peter Moore helping staying and helping on will only sort of smooth out the process yeah it's absolutely massive you think what the guys have mentioned there just how much Peter Moore has done for Liverpool and how affiliated he is with the club and 
you know, that is going to help anybody coming in no end and including whoever succeeds Billy Hogan into his role. It will have a massive knock on effect all the way down the club. And it's just so important for, for, the, for Liverpool. Really. And I think, as you say, because of the fact this has probably been coming because he was on a fixed year deal, they have uh, definitely had a succession plan in place. And the fact they've managed to work out this with Peter Moore, I think his contract was actually supposed to end in June, but they kept him on through the coronavirus pandemic and then kept him on again for this transition period. Shows the standing he holds with FSG firstly, but also it shows kind of FSG being clever at the same time, recognising how good he is and how much he could help somebody just, you know, move into his his role and move into the standing that he had at the club. So, yeah, I think I think it's very, very smart business all round, especially if the club knew that this was happening from from quite a time out. Yeah, no, certainly does seem that case. So let's have a chat then about Billy Hogan. And of course, as you already mentioned before, Connor, I'll come to you though on this, Kiva, that tomorrow, of course, the 1st of August, the Nike kit deal starts. And it sort of feels as though maybe right that the guy who was chief of negotiations there and got the ball rolling with that is going to be the man who will carry Liverpool forward as the chief executive officer into maybe a new age for the club. Yeah, I mean, that's sort of what I mentioned there. You know, it feels like a promotion, yet he's already got this amazing job at the club. Um, it definitely does feel like a reward, but then, like Connor mentioned there, it could, this could have been, you know, a three-year, five-year plan. Whenever he, he signed up to be the managing director, FSG might have always knew that, you know, eventually they were sort of shaping him for the role as CEO. So, you know, I think is 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 probably his leadership really helped him in, in uh, garnering that, that Mike Kit deal. Um you know, that's like one of the biggest things to happen to Liverpool, the, the leaders in the field now, you know, it just, it feels like, even though we've seen so many kit leaks and things like this, it does feel like we're on, you know, the eve of something really exciting. And it's it's not just about like seeing a kit tomorrow, it's about, you know, a sort of a new dawn in a way. Um, Liverpool are finally sort of like, I don't know, New Balance are great, but it just feels like another sort of step on being, you know, I mean, Barcelona have night. You just feel like it's on the sort of level of, you know, it's up there, isn't it? And it does feel like a special sort of moment in, in the club's history. There was a lot of excitement around the whole court case, wasn't it? Obviously, it went to uh, high court, didn't it, in London? And there was, you know, you, you were sort of sad for New Balance to lose out on it. But then, you know, what a run they've had. Liverpool's most successful uh, calendar year, pretty much, Um so, you know, they've had a good run and it does feel really exciting. And, you know, the, I think the the Nike sort of promo they released last night and um, Van Dyke was sort of the pictures with Colin Kaepernick and you kind of think, wow, Nike, you know, those adverts, you've grew up seeing them and, you know, they are always powerful moving. Um, I think that, it, you know, that just sort of made you think this is going to be big and hopefully going forward, you know, I'm sure next season and the seasons after Liverpool fans will, be delighted with the kits because I think, you know, Mike are up there, as I've said. Yeah, I can hear the excitement in your voice there, Kiva. And before I come to you, Matt, best ask Mr. Excitable Connor Dunn, how excited you are. Obviously, we, we've seen those leaked kit images, but we do know as of tomorrow, the deal with Nike will officially begin. But just how excited you are about all of this kicking off? Yeah, look, it's absolutely massive. It is the biggest kit deal in Liverpool's history. It is arguably maybe even comfortably the biggest sportswear brand on the planet nike's ambition nike's ethos is winning how could you wish for a better brand to be part of liverpool right now you're probably arguing two of the biggest sporting brands on the planet in liverpool and nike it's an amazing deal um 
few numbers behind it. Liverpool getting a guaranteed 30 million a year, which is 15 million pound a year less than New Balance. But actually, the add-ons and the exposure that Nike are going to give Liverpool, like the 20% royalties of shirt sales, all of the sports stars that Nike will have wearing this kit is going to be an absolutely crazy future for Liverpool. I think, obviously, tomorrow when all the announcements happen, there'll be players talking, there'll be the club talking, Nike will be talking, and it just, it'll be incredible, and I can't wait to see it. No, certainly does seem to be the case. Matt, then, come to, to you on Billy Hogan, and the fact that, as you alluded to before, he has been immersed in the Liverpool culture. It's not all been fantastic and great under Peter Moore. Of course, there have been issues that have been raised. Of course, the ticket pricing, the furloughing, it hasn't all been plain sailing. But you do hope that Billy Hogan, albeit an American who's come over from Boston with the, the ownership model, has been around long enough now to really understand and know the culture of the club and, crucially, the fan base. Yeah, I don't think he'd be put into the position if he wasn't, you know, perfectly intertwined with what the fan base thinks and, and what the city is all about and that sort of thing. And you know, I've got written down here some of his achievements at, at Liverpool so far. You look at obviously we've mentioned the, the Nike deal. I think he was influential with things like Nivea as well and, and marketing and commercial things. He was pivotal as part of the sort of main stand expansion, which has been, you know, one of the biggest successes of, of FSG's tenure at Liverpool, I think. So yeah, you, you look at all of those things, you look at you know what people have been saying about him. There's a, an interesting piece on the Liverpool Echo website that Chris Beasley has written this morning about you know sort of his successes and, and that sort of things, uh, you know, what he's done at, at Liverpool, what people have said about him, you know, every sort of aspect of, of this job he appears to be absolutely perfectly suited to doing. And you know, you you sort of look at, at Liverpool now, as Connor said, one of the biggest, if not the biggest teams in the world. Combine that with Nike, combine that with everything else that's going on. You know, we, we spoke to Kieran Maguire, the, the financial football finance expert recently, and he was sort of saying how now, you know, Liverpool are pretty much on the brink of overtaking Manchester United as, as the biggest revenue makers in the Premier League. You know, that gap has been closing now for, for four, five, six years. And, you know, had coronavirus not taken place, I think they probably would have overtaken them this year. But certainly, you know, in the next 12, 24 months, something like that, you'd expect that to happen. And, you know, I think obviously Peter Moore has, has played a big role in, in that sort of thing. But Billy Hogan has been the man really to, to drive that and make the biggest difference. So, yeah, whatever way you look at it, whether it's, you know, the individual bits of the job, whether it's the, the numbers and the finances, he's done a, a fantastic job up to now. There's, there's absolutely no doubt about that. And you'd expect that to continue as he takes on this new role. Yeah, certainly. We've will. obviously spoken, sorry, Guy, we've obviously spoken before on the pod about how Liverpool off the pitch are in really rude financial health and how you've maybe not seen it from Liverpool before and until the last few years. You know, we were one of the first to get brands on the sleeve. We were one of the first to get, you know, adverts in. We got a lawnmower sponsor and everything like this. And they are the people, Hogan Moore, the people behind this and probably Hogan in particular, the commercial strategy. He has been responsible for really putting Liverpool. It's probably quite an American attitude, really, all the sponsorship deals around it. But that, that no doubt helps the club on the pitch because it's money coming in. And yeah, no, it's just a. Yeah, it seems like a good appointment, even despite more being such a, a well-renowned and loved figure as he is. Yeah, well, for more reaction, then do head to the Liverpool Echo website. There's constantly more and more articles appearing, whether it be tributes to Peter Moore, of course, and his tenure at Liverpool, or what Billy Ho uh, Billy yeah, Hogan may well bring to the role. The Blood Red Podcast from the Liverpool Echo. You spoke there, Connor, about 
money being brought into the club. And I suppose Jurgen Klopp's probably got an eye on that, hoping that some of that money might trickle its way towards him and Michael Edwards in the recruitment team. Because I have to say, this week, the transfer window got underway on the 27th of July. It's going to run till, I think, the 5th of October is the date of the, the transfer window closing. And Man City, in particular, have moved quickly. Chelsea had already obviously tied up a, a couple of deals. But come to you first, Connor. Are you, I don't know, a bit... Worried, a bit sceptical that Liverpool aren't at the moment making any moves in the window and some of the rivals are? Specifically with Liverpool, I think, as you say, we've got until October the 5th until the transfer market closes. Liverpool can take a long look at what everybody else is doing. And who knows, in a month's time, the coronavirus situation, the financial situation, the financial landscape might be totally different and Liverpool might be able to go into the market. You've got to fully expect Liverpool to be bringing in a couple of players. There is spaces to fill, um, an experienced centre-back, um, possibly a midfielder if Shaqiri goes, particularly obviously with Villana going as well, maybe a backup to the forward line if an offer comes in for Origi. So there's certain things, but as, as we said, there is a long time, a long, long time to go. We've got all of August and all of September and a little bit of October before the, the curtain is drawn on the transfer window and it's slammed shut in traditional fashion. I think particularly... I hope you have your yellow tie at the ready. Oh, certainly, certainly. I'll tie it around my head like a karate kid style. <laughs> but in terms of the rivals, in terms of City and Chelsea, I think they were the two we knew and we discussed that were always going to be spending. They're the two with the means to spend. Um, if I was Chelsea, I think it's been made a lot of a lot of comments been made about Chelsea's you know forward line, which is was doing well anyway, and they've had some more brilliant attacking options, but. The defence is shaky at best and one of the worst in the Premier League. So you wouldn't be thinking you'd be screaming for attacking signings at that at that stage. Um, for City, they obviously went and spent loads of money last year on fullbacks. They're going to spend loads of money this year on fullbacks. That probably tells you about the state they're in. They haven't quite found that perfect balance yet. Um, whether Aki, Nathan Aki from Bournemouth, who is, looks like he's going to City, is going to be that perfect option for them. Remains to be seen, obviously. He's a talented player and everybody, you can see that, but he's, you know, coming from a relegated club to somebody who wants to be challenging for the Premier League. So, yeah, it remains to be seen. And I don't think with the signings that have been made so far, I'm particularly worried about Liverpool's position at the top. Yeah, but I am ever the optimist. Yeah, no, but Kiva, on the on the transfer window and how it's playing out at the moment, we, we always give credit to Liverpool in how they think ahead and they, they're always one step ahead. But would it be fair to say maybe that they're, playing catch-up in terms of what the others have done because Chelsea, of course, had that transfer ban. They'd sold Eden Hazard and Alvaro Morata, so they had some money already stashed aside. Manchester City have sold Leroy Sané and therefore have money stashed aside, where only Dejan Lovren's left Liverpool at the moment. We might see another few players depart, which therefore then might raise the money for Liverpool to spend in the window, if, if you see what I mean. Yeah, I don't think Liverpool are playing catch-up. I think Chelsea and Man City are definitely playing catch-up on Liverpool in terms of points last season. You know, Liverpool finished years ahead, didn't they? Um, and literally, um, you know, you think that the City, I don't think they've confirmed them signing Gerard for the year visit Ferran Torres and Nathan Ake. Um, you know, they're not signings that really trouble or worry me in particular. Like, Torres is a young lad, I think, plays for Valencia. You know, he looks like a, a talent, but, you know, unproven in the Premier League. Nathan Ake is proven in the Premier League, but also got relegated this season. So it's kind of like, you know, that's a trouble. And we know he's a he's a great uh, defender. He's great in the air. But obviously he got relegated and wasn't able to keep Bournemouth up. So you do, you do sort of question that. But, you know, we do know his quality as well. 
Um, the, the worry maybe with Chelsea is that he did sign Timo Werner and that he will score 40 goals next season. That is that is probably Liverpool's only little tiny worry, but then they weren't worried enough to go and buy him, so did they really think that they needed him? Probably not. Um, I don't think it's a worry yet, like Connor mentioned, you know, we've got till October to figure these things out. Jürgen Klopp will be, you know, there'll be plans in place, there'll be players that they're looking at, there might even be, you know, discussions, talks already going on. Um, I think, obviously, the centre-back is a little bit of an issue. It's going to be difficult to get someone that wants to come in and sort of play fourth choice. Um, you know, maybe someone young and hungry who has got, you know, the, the talent to, to do that. Um, and then it sort of depends on what players are going to leave. We feel like Curtis Jones is probably going to fill in for Lallana's minutes, what he played last season, players like that. So, you know, there are players there. But again, you, you look at City's squad and you just... The bench sometimes is just ridiculous, isn't it? And you're just thinking, what the hell? Like, you know, Liverpool aren't really spending when you think. I think someone put up a, a tweet the other day. It might have been the Anfield rap. It was like all the, the Liverpool defenders. And it was literally like 75 million. And then basically massive free, Alexander-Arnold free, and Andy Robertson for 8 mil, uh, you know, whoever else. And it was just like hardly anything. And then cities was just like billions, just like, Ridiculous. So they're just trying to do that again. They throw money at the defence, hoping that it'll figure itself out. But you know, I think Carragher raised the, the biggest question with um, Ake is obviously will he play next to Laporte? They're both left footers. How will that work out? Then do they play back three? City have got a lot more thinking to do than Liverpool. I think Liverpool are right now in good shape. You know, if if, if the current projection is probably you know. 97 points, 99 points, what we say, 98 for next season, you know, we'll, we'll average it out. So I don't think Liverpool fans should be too worried at the minute. Obviously, if more players leave going out the door, Shaqiri, Rigi, players like that, you, you need to start replacing those. But um, for now, I think, you know, it's, it's not really too much of a worry. No, certainly not. And I have to say, I think you said what everyone's been thinking about Timo Werner. He could well get 40 goals next season, but we'll have to wait and see how that one does play out. But He could also not. Yeah, he could also not. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> ever the optimist, Connor, ever the optimist. Um, Matt, though, looking at Jurgen Klopp's squad and how he has built it and assimilated it, the fact that Liverpool probably aren't in need of any specific areas of really desperately having to sign someone through this summer and actually hoping that the squad can evolve and change within itself is, I suppose, one of the positives anyway. Yeah, exactly that. I think the fact that you know Chelsea and Manchester City are going out and spending is almost an admission that in the past they haven't got it right. And certainly we've seen, as Connor mentioned before, the amount that they've spent just on fullbacks would suggest that you know they haven't quite got that right yet. And Look, I think you know Liverpool are so far in front. The fact that they are that many points clear suggests that they probably don't need to spend to, to stay where they are. I think obviously there's enough players, and you know if if Jurgen Klopp was to go again with the same squad, I'm sure he'd be fairly happy with that. But you, know, you, you mentioned the amount that Chelsea have play, uh, spent on on attacking players, but you know they conceded I think 54 goals in the Premier League last season. That was the same as Brighton, who finished 14th or 15th. You know, Kepa, you know, statistically is one of, if not the worst goalkeepers at, at saving shots. You know, they've got at least those two, probably a left back as well before they can challenge Liverpool. And, you know, Manchester City as well. I think Ferran Torres could be an excellent signing, but he's essentially a replacement for Leroy Sane. So they've not necessarily improved. They've just sort of swapped one for the other. So, look, it'll be interesting to see how both of those teams get on. But 
the fact that Liverpool are not desperate to spend and they're not taking any risks financially, actually, I think that's a, a good thing rather than a bad thing. You've got to think as well, between the current first eleven, which is absolutely world-class and won everything last year, they are between sort of 26, 28, the great majority of them. They've got a good couple of years left at peak. Maybe, yeah, you might need a couple of good replacements, strong replacements, but that first eleven is going to challenge any team in the world for at least the next season, at least, without even any hint of optimism in that because the talent they all have is is clear for everyone to see. So I'm not worried. Yeah, and I have to, I have to say as well, just to add something into it, Kiva, that with such a short break to the start of next season, obviously the transfer window carrying on into a fair bit of the season as it is, that players who are brought in aren't going to have all too long to learn the systems, train with their teammates, gel and bed into a team. Whereas Liverpool, if they don't end up doing too much business, probably only expect anything minor to happen anyway, that actually Liverpool will be ready as a team, as a cohesive unit to go forward. Yeah, definitely. I think um, I read the other day, obviously, um, I think Borussia Dortmund are keen to sort of figure out with Jadon Sancho's future, whether he's going to United or whatever. Liverpool obviously still being linked with him, but um, they're keen because I think they returned to training on August 10th and they want to, you know, consolidate the squad. And I feel like they've got the right idea. Klopp will have that same idea, as will most managers in, in football, to be honest. They want that sort of you know, togetherness straight away because, you know, we're going from one season pretty much into the other. It's going to, you know, this is, we, we haven't never been here before. This is, you know, we've never done this. We don't know what it's going to be like. Um, next season could be totally crazy, you know, um, compared to, you know, how, how good Liverpool played last season. They'll want to they'll want to start from, you know, first day back at training. You know, the, the Premier League winners' medals are in the cupboard now. You know, they've got to, got to focus on what's to come. And I think, Adding new players doesn't, you know, we've seen with Minamino the, the struggle he sort of had them first few months. And, you know, it is hard for players to adjust to a team. So you want to get them in early. And that's why Jürgen Klopp is always, he rarely does late business, Klopp. He might do this summer just because of this, the financial aspects of it. But I think Oxlade-Chamberlain come in on deadline day and that's one of the sort of rare late deals. He likes to get things done and sort of, you know, like I said, consolidate the squad and get them playing together and just, you know, that, Sort of, I think it's also it sort of helps the players know. Like no one's coming in to take my position now. This is us. I've got to fight for that. Is it like they know where they are in the team and what they've got to do to to maybe get in the team as well? Um, so I think you know this summer now presents us with this awkward. You know, Liverpool usually do early business. They don't need to do any business, but what if a couple of things happen? A couple of players leave. It just puts you into sort of uncharted territory, really. But um, I think you know Klopp will be keen to to get everyone in and sort of training together. And, you know, this this does offer as well a good chance for Minamino and Keita con- to continue the sort of form they were showing at, at the close of the, the season as well. Yeah, and on that point, Matt, I think it's going to be the, the third and fourth seasons, respectively, at, at Anfield for Naby Keita and Alex Oxlade-Chamberlain. There seems to be a fair bit of excitement around what those two players could perhaps offer next season. Yeah, absolutely. And, and rightly so. We know how talented both of them are and obviously both have had injury troubles at, at certain times. But to be honest, I think the end of this season almost came at the wrong time for Naby Keita because he seemed to be fit. He seemed to be in form and, and doing really well. So, yeah, hopefully the summer, you know, obviously it's only a two-week break between the end of the season and the start of pre-season. I suppose that could play into his hands. But you've got to sort of hope that he can sort of 
just get going exactly where he was at, at the end of last season, to be honest, because I think, you know, as I say, Liverpool fans are right to be excited. I think on the sort of evidence of the last few games, particularly of last season, you know, he started to, to show a little bit more, more what he could do. We always knew what sort of player he was from seeing him at Leipzig, but we've never never quite seen that. But I certainly think that the last few games of last season was as close in a Liverpool shirt to, to that Leipzig player as what we've had so far. And and Chamberlain as well, he's another one who, you know, he almost just needs a run of games, which is not necessarily easy to get in this Liverpool team because there's so many, you know, players to, to choose from in that midfield area. But he's another one that... You know, he's very much a form player, you know, when he's at it and he gets into a groove and he can sort of start at a few games and maybe get a couple of goals. He does seem to be very much a confidence player. So, yeah, I think all of the, the Liverpool players will be raring to go, obviously having won the, the Premier League and the Champions League in the last couple of seasons. But those two in particular, I think, have, have got a little bit of a point to prove heading into next season and, and hopefully they can take that chance. Yeah, no, I suppose another player who may come back, may not come back, may go back out on loan somewhere else who will feel he might have a point to prove. Connor is Rian Brewster. He's had a very good time down in Swansea. He almost helped them into a, a championship playoff final. It wasn't for the lack of his goals that Swansea didn't get there. And another player who Liverpool fans have been keeping a close eye on who might be able to come back into the squad and offer something that he wasn't offering previously. Yeah, certainly. I mean, it was our first real chance of seeing Brewster in first-team competitive action, wasn't it? Obviously, scoring goals for youth teams in England and youth teams of Liverpool and, and flying, and then obviously got really unfortunate injury. But going down to Swansea, 11 goals, 22 games, scoring in playoff semi-final, he looks like a proper goal scorer. And all everything that Klopp was saying about him looking like a finisher and looking like a poacher and looking like a striker, you know, you can really, really see that. He's only young, and a few of his finishes, the, I'm thinking of the long like 30-yard strike, the one where he turns in the box, volleys it into the roof of the net. A couple of really, really fine finishes. And you think that's something different to what Liverpool have right now. You know, a real goal scorer, a real finisher, that real that number nine position, a traditional number nine position what you, that you'd think about. Um, not your not your Bobby number nine, your more Lewandowski number nine, probably. But yes, yeah, it's, it's, it's a really exciting time for Brewster because obviously he went to Swansea with a point to prove that he could make it and play in first-team football. And he has obviously scored a lot of goals, um, and he couldn't have really grabbed that opportunity much better. So it's interesting to see what Liverpool do with him because he can obviously score goals in the Championship. You've got to think before that loan deal in January, he had hardly played any football and almost came straight into that Swansea team at the level ready to score goals in the Championship and the top of the Championship as well, scoring goals in the playoff semi-finals and things. So it's interesting to see what they do. Do they do they loan him out again, hopefully to a, and hopefully get some Premier League time for him? Or do they think, actually, we could probably develop him further in the Premier League ourselves um, when we want to give Firmino a rest, when we want to change the system a little bit, have it on, have him on the bench, give him some impact minutes throughout the season and, and see what he can do. Um, it's certainly a massive opportunity for him. And I think he'll be one that Klopp will be taking a very, very close look at when they come back for a bit of pre-season before the, the actual season starts in a couple of weeks' time. Yeah, and it is a, a big dilemma as well, isn't it, Kiva, that you've got this young player who's gone away, scored all these goals. He's probably done exactly everything Jurgen Klopp and Pep Linders would have asked for him to do before he went out on loan. And yet now, do Liverpool look to send him maybe to a side in the Premier League next season, but want to make sure that he gets enough opportunities? Or will there be an opening for him maybe at Anfield? It's a difficult one, isn't it? I think that there's definitely an option there to send him back to Swansea, you know. 
obviously he's that coach he's worked with before and you know he's got that experience now he's got a good record 11 goals and 22 appearances you know add that add 40 appearances next season how many more is he goals is he going to bang in probably quite a few he's confident there he knows the team I feel like putting him in the Premier League maybe is you know it's what happened with Harry Wilson and he's you know impressed obviously bomb go down but you know he did impress and um, you want him sort of in the league that he's hopefully going to be playing out with Liverpool or do you keep him around I think then that depends on if the likes of Origi maybe go and then does he come into that sort of is he that player then is he does Klopp think he's ready for that? Um, I think, you know, he's he's proven himself there, definitely. Um, the goals, like Connor said, some of them finishes were some of the best I've seen all season from any player. Um, just instinct, he just knows where to be. And, you know, the first time I ever seen him was last summer at Prenton Park and he played the first half and I'd never seen him play before and I was so, so impressed by him, just his movement and everything. Um, and... You know, you were sort of hoping that was going to be a season last season. Obviously, didn't things didn't work out for him, and then he goes on loan, and you you had that little bit of sort of feeling sorry for him. Obviously, seeing the likes of Nico Williams, Curtis Jones, and Harvey Elliott a little bit getting getting minutes, and indeed Premier League winners medals, and you know he's out there fighting for something else. And you were hoping maybe if he if he did win the playoffs of Swansea, then that would be you know the medal, and that would be enough for him. But I definitely think those goals should be enough for him. You know, I think he's almost taken a bigger step than all of those players in a way because he's, you know, he's stepped out of the comfort zone. He could have easily said to Klopp, you know, I want to stay around because, you know, I want to I want to be a part of this. But, he, he, you know, he's experienced that before, the Club World Cup. I think he was out there, wasn't he? And, you know, to take that step is massive. And now Liverpool have such a big decision, but... You know, I'm just so glad that he's starting to prove himself because it was, you know, I think we were starting to, the fan base was starting to get a little bit of doubts maybe about his ability. But now, you know, it's clear, it's, you know, he's got a great highlights reel there from Swansea. And, you know, um, the decision to, to keep him on at Liverpool now, not loan him out, I think would be welcomed as well. Yeah, I remember speaking to him actually down at the Liberty Stadium after he scored his first goal for Swansea against Wigan and he is a very driven individual. Matt, I'm sure you'll know well about that as well and you've written a piece on the Echo today saying what he could potentially offer to Liverpool and that option, as Connor alluded to, is an actual focal number nine. It's something that Liverpool haven't really had under Jurgen Klopp. Daniel Sturridge did it in bits and pieces, but obviously struggled with injury. But it could be exciting to see the next evolution of this team if he were to be given a go through the middle. Yeah, absolutely. The the piece that I wrote that, that went out this morning sort of made reference to the fact that he was in that England under-17 World Cup winning squad along with Phil Foden, Callum Hudson-Odoi and, and Jaden Sancho. And, you know, at the time, all all four of those players in that squad were rated pretty similarly and you, you know when you think particularly of what Jaden Sancho has gone on to become Phil Foden now is you know potentially going to be David Silva's replacement at, at Manchester City next season Callum Hudson-Odoi I think is a player that certainly Jurgen Klopp and, and Liverpool have kept an eye on at certain times so yeah Ryan Brewster has sort of missed out on 12 or 13 months of, of development compared to those other three players because of you know his long-term injury I think it was ankle ligaments that that he had for you know, for a sustained period of, of time, really, over the last three years to be missing more than a third of that time to develop, I think it, it is almost forgotten how talented and, and how good he is because, you know, Phil Foden was voted the best player in that tournament, but Ryan Brewster was the top goal scorer, scored eight goals, showed, you know, exactly the sort of talent that that sort of brought him from, from Chelsea to Liverpool when he was 15. And 
just looking ahead to, to next season, it is going to be interesting. I, I suspect he will probably go out on loan, but I wouldn't be against him staying at Liverpool because, you know, as Connor says, he's a, a different type of player. I think obviously we've seen, you know, Liverpool now as, as Premier League champions are going to need to evolve. If they're not going to sign new players, they maybe need to to have a look at using the players they've got in a slightly different way. We've seen, you know, in the past, someone like Zed and Shakiri's come into the team and they've changed maybe to a 4-2-3-1. If Zed and Shakiri isn't going to be here or he isn't going to play as many minutes as, as maybe what he has over the last couple of seasons, you know, he's not played much at all for a long while. You know, maybe Ryan Brewster could be the one who came in and, and allowed Liverpool to change that system because, you know, you could imagine him as, as being that focal point in, in a 4-2-3-1 and, you know, if Jurgen Klopp has used it in the past, potentially that's something he could do in the future too. So it's going to be a, a very interesting decision this summer, but I certainly don't think Liverpool fans should forget really just how highly rated Ryan Brewster is. No, and on, finally on the point, Connor, of potentially loaning him out, what would you feel would aid his development more going into the Premier League or even if it were staying at Swansea, staying at a level that he's proven he can do it at, scoring goals regularly and for strikers, I suppose it's all about confidence, isn't it? Yeah, you obviously don't want to do too much too soon, especially with young players, and especially only the fact he's played half a season after coming through injury. Um, I think with the fact the transfer market stays open until October, and you've probably got three or four weeks of season, which you can probably keep him at Liverpool at, and if Liverpool have a comfortable couple of games and bringing him on with 20 minutes to go and maybe having a look, because I think that, that Liverpool afforded an opportunity there, really, you know, as long as things go to plan, you can probably use him in the setup and see how it goes. And then if it doesn't quite work out in those first couple of things, then maybe go back down to the championship, have one more full season just to blood him essentially, and then come back to Liverpool as a focal point. Because you've got to remember he is still so young and still played such little amount of first team football and experience at, at that age and at that level counts for so so much. So I think if if I were if I were Klopp, I would definitely keep him around, keep him around the squad, seeing what can happen in training keep him around for the first couple of weeks of the season, try and use him in the games just to see how he gets on and then sort of go from there, but probably with a view to loan him back out to Swansea, who I know actually do want him again. So that is a, is a, is a helpful helpful place to be. Yeah, certainly. Another one to keep an eye on. Well, that wraps it up for us here on the Blood Red podcast for the Friday edition. Thanks to Connor Dunn, Kiever O'Neill and Matt Addison for joining myself, Guy Clark, on this Friday edition of the Blood Red podcast. Remember, keep across the Liverpool Echo for all your latest Liverpool FC news. And of course, with the transfer window now in full swing, why not sign up to the Echo's uh, daily newsletter? You can find the uh, link to that in the description of the podcast. Regular updates directly to your email address so you don't even have to go browsing but as I say thanks to the guys for joining me and thanks to you two for sticking with us and listening in to this edition of the Blood Red Podcast until next time it's bye for now You've been listening to the Blood Red Podcast from the Liverpool Echo